Well, hello and welcome to episode number 397 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Mm, beers affect me there. In this week's packed show, Airbus and Qatar argue about paint. Airbus rents out an aircraft to earn a few quid, and a Boeing 747 that cost a quid is turned into a nightclub. In the military news this week, another F-35 crashes into the ocean. This time it's an American F-35C into the South China Sea, while pictures emerge of the recovered F-35 that plopped into the sea a few weeks ago. A couple of ex-RAF BAE 146s are heading to museums, and Armando talks about how the Air Force is tackling its own pilot shortage. And joining me this week across the village over in the PTUK Master Suite Studios, and he's fully clothed. It's Matt Smith. <laughs> Charming. Uh, yes, yes, I am absolutely. You are allowed back in the studio, by the way, now, because apparently it's all finished. The, the I know, the I know. Next next week, yeah. I intend on coming back. I've got to tell you, actually. Next week, I intend on coming back in there. Do you? Right. Well, I bet. I bet. Put the, I bet. Put the Hoover around. <laughs> and I and I've been storing up a shed load of beers Ooh, in the uh, in the garage. So. Yeah, I've I've basically been teetotal since you haven't been in the studio. You know, you realize oh, you, that, you won't right? be next week. Oh, good. Next right. Week, okay. Next week's show, guys, will be entertaining. Will it? Right. Okay, with it. Well, with, well, let's let's hope John's not here because he'll be quite stressed about that. No doubt. Forbid. <laughs> well, yes, um, and also joining me this week as well back on the show after doing about ten billion miles this week with BA. It's Neville Bounds. Yes, here I am back for some more. Hey, and, uh, ooh, what you got there? Thanks to those nice fellas at um, Edinburgh Airport at the lounge. I got a couple of the Jetstream Brewdog beers. Not quite as good as the Speedbird 100 oh. but uh, you know a, a bold 8 out of 10 I would say oh say uh, alright so, oh, so not a disaster yeah. then no indeed no not no. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, no good to be back um, after a couple of days of flying this week Edinburgh and back um, and they're, they're getting very busy now the flights as well mind, mind you primarily because they haven't got you know the 7 or 8 flights a day they used to run mm. from Heathrow to Edinburgh but nonetheless they're, they're packing them in again now um, so, um, so I mean, that, you're, that's the good. second time quite recently that you've done the same route, isn't it? Yeah, I was to, to Glasgow the, the previous week and yeah. Edinburgh this week. Oh right, oh sorry, yeah. my apologies. But, um, uh, but uh, yeah, when you when you check in, Nev, because uh, I, I guess you fly from Heathrow on these flights. When when you check in at Heathrow, do they just not just go, oh hi hi Nev, how are you? You're right. Uh, that somebody, it was funny. I was taking one of my colleagues with me <clears throat> who was flying from Glasgow, so we went up to the uh, the lounge area and. I showed them my um, um, boarding pass on my car uh, phone. And, of course, they said, oh, yes, uh, good morning, Mr. Bounds. And my colleague hadn't quite twigged <laughs> that I had shown him my name on the phone. And he goes, my God, they even know you by yeah, name. Absolutely. Go, of course. Yes. They do. I assume you didn't correct them, of course. I mean, definitely not. Quite no. <laughs> Honestly, nice. they're probably they're, they're probably going to invest, like, millions in, a, in, a, in an actual lane just for Nev to walk through, straight through security. <laughs> not quite. I mean, they may as well. You know. I, no, I agree. I wholeheartedly, I think that's the way mm. forward. Yeah, just just a, literally a lane that goes all the way from check-in <laughs> straight through to seat one A. That would be nice. Mm. Yeah, oh, can you imagine? Try, yeah. Yes, that's the yeah, the ultimate uh, fast track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, joining us this week from across the pond is, of course, our legend of all things military. It's Armando. Hello, team. How is everybody? All right. All the better for seeing you, sir. 
I feel like Gosh. it's been ages. Where have you been? <laughs> well, it's only been two weeks. Is it? <gasps> Feels like a lot longer, I'll it's be honest. Lightly yeah. like my puppy who doesn't remember that I just walked out the door. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, absolutely. That's uh, the first time I've been compared to a puppy. Thanks for that. It's uh, <laughs> a compliment. Now, Armando, we, we've, uh, for those of you who follow Armando on social media, will know mm. that, uh, that Armando's been doing lots of flying. Yes, and it's been a bit it's cold. Safe to, it's safe to say, Armando, that the weather... Your side of the uh, of the globe is slightly more, um, what should we say, volatile, uh, uh, wintry than what Winter. we have. Yeah, it certainly yeah. is. Also, I think uh, other parts of the country have suffered a little bit more than we have. I think the Northeast, but here in the Southeast United States, whenever it snows or there's a flurry, everything shuts down and becomes chaos. But the last three weekends in a row here in Charlotte, North Carolina, we've actually had some kind of wintry precipitation including tonight we're supposed to get some snow tonight wow and uh that doesn't stop us from flying so wow. we yeah i've gone to a couple destin i actually i took a client up to ski in west virginia so that was a really pretty awesome approach i wish i would have had a gopro on that one but it was a pilatus flight so it was a great flight doing what the Pilatus was designed to do, which was a, a steep approach into a mountainous airstrip that was covered in snow, um, which is where the pictures that I sent you guys came from. But an wow. awesome, cool little approach. And, and um, funny enough, there were two other uh, platypuses on the on the ramp. So apparently that's that's the charter aircraft of choice to go in. <laughs> Get Absolutely. Uh, Mike has oh, just uh, been in touch. Look, he's just saying, uh, oh, hello, man. hello, boys and girls. We're expecting 12 to 18 inches of snow tomorrow. That's yeah. 20 to 30 centimetres, plus winds at 50 miles an hour. I mean, Ooch. wow. Yeah, that's no joke. No, absolutely not. Good. Well, how, how stay is safe, Tango, everyone. Armando. Great airplane. Running strong. Awesome. Awesome. I do, I do miss it. I'm going to have to get one of those play <laughs> flights and come over. And do some more flying. <laughs> anyway, I just say yeah. your wife hasn't forgiven you for the last one yet. I, I mean, know, I know. I probably still, leave I'm it a bit longer. Myself, yeah, I'm still digging myself out of that hole. I would, right yeah. now. Yeah, um, absolutely. Good uh, luck with that. My, I will redeem myself tomorrow when I paint, do some painting. Oh, anyway, wow. um, let's have a look at who has joined us in the live YouTube room today. But actually, first we have an update, uh, don't we, Nev, and uh, on what's uh, going on. Oh, in terms of uh, the um, what exactly? It what? was an update on the uh, the crew member that oh, was um, uh, yeah. yes. The, tick, the guy, the guy, remember the B, the guy who flew BA, and he yes. allegedly said he was on his own. Oh, oh, that's right. Yes. Um, well, if you were listening to that, uh, we were a bit not not entirely skeptical we were slightly surprised but um there has been an update and it says that an alleged crew member has commented on the tiktok video to say that he was not the only person on the plane and that he was one of 13 people in that back section of the cabin there apparently were 83 passengers in economy along with passengers in premium and business class as well oh oops Oh, awkward. 
Oh. Also, uh, we have an update from episode 374, Cast Your Minds Back. What? Uh, the <laughs> Klein Vision Air Car uh, that we featured in story number 11. Uh, and that has received its airworthiness oh. uh, certificate uh, this week by the Slovak Transport Authority. Well, that's exciting. So uh, if you check yourself out on uh, episode 374, that was story number 11 we'd done, and that was the Klein Vision Air Car. Wow. So uh, Google that. It looks rather interesting, I will say. Anyway, let's have a look at the YouTube chat room and see who has joined us in there this evening. Loads of people in there. We had GB's Model Zone was in right at the beginning uh, of the evening before we even went live. So hello to you, GB's Model Zone. We've got in there uh, Mazus. Hello to you, Mazus. Hopefully we'll be, hopefully me and Matt will come and see you yes, soon. Yes, we need, uh, to, we need to get that in the diary ASAP. And Stephen Ivey, hello to you. Stephen, great to see you in the uh, live room this evening, Stephen. Uh, Nick Codling, hello to you, Nick. Hope you're well. Uh, Arnie Carlson, hello to you, Arnie. Uh, Masha as well is joining us there. Hope things are warmer your side of uh, Europe, Masha. Uh, Neil Lamborn is also in the chat room. We've got uh, oh Neville Bounds is in there, obviously keeping an eye on things. Of course. Uh, Richard Adams, hello to you, Richard. Our main man, Uncle Micah, has joined us in there. APG Show is also. Uh, in the chat room this evening, uh, keeping an eye on things. So good uh, evening to everyone who's joined us this evening. Don't forget, if you are listening to mine, Matt, Nevs, and Armando's glorious voices on the audio podcast, and you want to see what we all look like, don't do it. Don't Armand, do it. Armando is stunning. Uh, you can take yourselves over <laughs> to. I'm, I'm turning my uh, touch up my appearance on right now. Right. Very good. You can again, take again yourselves... what you do in your own time. None of my business. <laughs> <laughs> take yourselves over to YouTube. Click on uh, or find us first. Click on uh, youtube.com forward slash plain talking UK. Don't forget to click that subscribe button and also the bell icon, which is right next door to be notified when we are live and recording new episodes so you can join all the other members of our family in the live chat room because as we always say the chat room is what makes well it makes the show doesn't it, it does guys? indeed that's what she said sorry exactly <laughs> so guys we, we have got a packed show tonight we've got tons and tons of commercial news to get through there's been a lot happening this week so if every if everyone's ready all the team ready indeed yes 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 yes, yes. ready let's go Soaking off this week's first news story, and this one is uh, coming to us from about 6,000 different news feeds. But we've got businessinsider.com, reuters.com, onemileatatime.com, simpleflying.com, golfnews.com, traveldailymedia.com, to say but a few. And uh, this is a story that we've been looking at now for a few weeks on the show, and this is regarding the flaking paint issue with Qatar Airways and Airbus. So tensions between Airbus and longtime customer Qatar, Qatar, Qatar Airways continues to grow after the manufacturer cancelled a multi-billion dollar plane order from the airline. Airbus confirmed to Insider on Friday that it's cancelled Qatar's order for 50 
Airbus A321 jets amid an ongoing dispute over paint issues uh, on the carrier's A350 aircraft. In 2017, the two entities entered the $6.35 billion contract, and the first aircraft was scheduled to be delivered to Qatar in 2023 according to Reuters. Uh, At the heart of the issue is the dispute, an A350's paint issue that causes the paint to crack and bubble and expose a specific uh, lighting protection or lightning protection layer on some of the A350s. Uh, The carrier, which brought back A380 super jumbos to replace uh, costly uh, capacity or the loss of capacity is seeking more than $700 million in compensation after being unable to use their A350s. Uh, $618 million, though, uh, through December 17th and a further $4.2 million per day. Wow. Airbus has acknowledged that airlines, including Finnair, have seen similar paint issues, but no other carrier has grounded planes, and the manufacturer disputes Qatar's characterization of the problem as a safety concern. Qatari regulators eventually grounded 21 planes despite a parallel EASA probe, which found no flight safety risks uh, to question the A350's airworthiness. Airbus maintains it has provided a full root cause analysis of the problem, which Qatar disputes. Uh, The plane maker will contend that Qatar Airways sought to engineer or has uh, acquisite uh, uh, um, the long word there in groundings because it's the airline's economic interest to idle planes given the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on demand the hearing will take place in london yes you heard me correctly in london the uk uh, high court with the initial date set for april the 26th airbus has been given until february the 28th to prepare its defense uh, qatar airways made a statement to social media last friday publishing a video of the scarred exterior of the grounded a350 jets that the airlines said underscored serious and legitimate safety concerns now matt did play that video just a moment ago uh, willie walsh ceo of iata the body representing global airlines said that of the plane maker's decision to revoke a jetliner contract He said that I would hate to think that one of the suppliers is taking advantage of their current. And where did it just jump there? Just jump there. The current market strength to exploit their position. And that is something we are watching very closely. In the past couple of weeks, Qatar Airways has started leasing three of Oman Air's A330-300s to help cope with passenger demand. Uh, The Qatari airline is one of Airbus's biggest customers and was even the launch customer of the Airbus A350. Now, Matt, you did play that video Mm. whilst I was reading that just then, and I have to say, it it looks hideous, but um, Armando, what do you think about the safety implementations of paint paint flaking from uh, an aircraft well i certainly don't work for qatar airways you know and what they consider their their safety standards um probably a little bit different than than mine uh steven ivy in the chat room is saying that he's flown some pretty uh, ragged looking airplanes where he wasn't actually sure what airline they belong to <laughs> i know here in the u.s i've i've flown some uh, pretty ratty looking airplanes never never worried about safety and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I guess I, I don't see what they're looking at, but, but in, you have to think that they have good reason to declare a safety 
issue if if they're willing to cancel six billion dollars worth yeah. of aircraft you know they, they must obviously see something there um hopefully it's not just aesthetics on the aircraft but i can say am, um, I, am, am i being really cynical here where i'm saying is there a chance that there's an, an ulterior motive behind the i mean is this almost being used as an excuse for something else you know perhaps if you know, we are just coming out of the back of a, a hideously expensive, especially for airlines. There's no two ways about that. Are we coming out of the back of, you know, a, of a, a pandemic that uh, where they could do without spending that kind of money and don't need to? And this is being used as a way of trying to back out of a contract. Is that me being dodgy? <laughs> everything's everything's possible, right? Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it seems a bit odd, doesn't it? I mean, I appreciate that. Yeah, mind you. I, I, although, again, I suppose if you just, you know, if you've just spent all that money on a new aircraft, you know, you want it to be super shiny for at least two or three years. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you don't want to. You don't. You shouldn't expect to see flaky paint after. You know what? I mean, you know, even, even most car period. manufacturers give you a, a what is it? Nev four, five year paint guarantee. Warranty, yes, and yeah. some Korean manufacturers give you a seven year. Mm, yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is very yeah. true. Yes. And that's for like a ten or fifteen thousand pound car, not a um, ten or fifteen yeah. million pounds. Hundred million, yeah. But I will say Qatar must be desperate if they're leasing Oman Air's A three thirties because having flown on on a couple of Oman Air's A three thirties, they're not brilliant aircraft to fly on. I will say interior wise, but anyway. So actually, interestingly Perfect enough, experience. so we just had something uh, come in on the WhatsApp. Um, uh, I'm not uh, saying uh, uh, I, I I won't say the name just in case. But anyway, the message says worked as a painter at Airbus on the A380. Uh, this is a surprise as they are a professional company uh, and they should be approaching uh, paint suppliers with this problem. So perhaps it isn't the you know the paint you know perhaps it's the the manufacturer of the paint uh, is the problem perhaps rather than something else. There you go. Yeah, paint's a funny old thing. You have to be very it is yeah absolutely. Careful. And is yeah. it the, is it the primer? It, you know, it's again is isn't it? it there could, could be, be so many variables there. as to why this is started to flake but i'm sure we'll find out in in we will. good time i'm sure yeah but from lots of money going adrift to uh, an air an air or an aircraft manufacturer yeah doing make, something making a, bit, a food quiz yeah doing something a bit different so uh, this is coming from reuters uh, ain online and the businessinsider.com and the headline is airbus to create own airline to rent out the whale plane Airbus plans to charter out its whale-shaped beluga transport planes whose main job until now has been to ferry aircraft parts between its plants in Europe to help other industries haul urgently needed outsized machinery by air. The aircraft, uh, sorry, Airbus said that the move to rent out spare capacity on its existing beluga ST and its new beluga XL transporters would lead to the creation of a commercial cargo airline subsidiary from 2020. 23. Analysts say demand for outsized cargoes that can be transported without dismantling them has been rising, partly on the back of weakened supply chains. Logistics managers turn to oversized airplanes when there is no time to see to use seaplanes. Within the past few years, even before COVID-19, we were approached uh, by several companies asking if the Beluga aircraft was available to perform some charter flights, said business development manager Risa Fas. 
Fazhalahi, uh, who and uh, and until recently Airbus had trouble meeting such demand because the aerospace industry uh, was running at peak capacity. But analysts say lower output of large passenger jets and an industry-wide slump during the pandemic have meant older Belugas have more time left on the clock than first expected. The Beluga ST uh, is uh, is only at fifty percent of their life. Uh, they've been designed for 30,000 flight cycles and currently have an average of 15,000, said Philippe Sabo, um, head of Airbus Transport International. Uh, the Beluga's 128-foot-long cargo holds can take cargo items up to 23 feet wide and 22 feet high. The ST model carries a payload capacity of 40 metric tonnes, that's 88,183 pounds, while the XL can carry 44 metric tons that's 97,000 and one pounds that one pound is very important uh, the beluga can operate on runways of at least 6,561 feet at and at airport altitudes of up to 8,500 feet this week airbus unveiled new hardware that it says the beluga operate that it says will make the beluga operations more cost effective they include a multi-purpose pallet that can adjust to the length to match the dimensions of the payload in two meter long modules it is also now positioning new loading platforms at various airports around the world and can dispatch belugas with a new onboard loader uh, that it can use to lift uh, loads away from the aircraft's toll house base uh, Toulouse. sorry not toll house honestly <laughs> uh, i've even been there that's that's really poor you have uh, actually been there mate. Yeah. Yeah. airbus has <laughs> designated the following city as likely hubs for oversized freight operations. So we've got Hong Kong, Beijing, Singapore, Dubai, Doha. We've got uh, Baikonur. We've got Bungi. Uh, we've also got Liege, Derby, uh, Marseille, Montreal, Cincinnati, Cape Canaveral, Cayenne, uh, uh, as in the pepper, <laughs> Los Angeles, and Seattle. So, I mean, that, that's... I mean. I'm I mean, what a Airbus hasn't done this before. Yeah, yet. do you know what I was thinking? Well, I know they're busy, but no, I know, but that, you know, I suppose they're they're not as busy as they were, and of course, mm. I mean, Boeing has a similar sort of like equivalent, doesn't it? That that is capable. Yeah, the of Dream Lifter. The Dream Lifter. I mean, as you say, yeah. I'm surprised that they haven't. Um, Sort of, you know, as you say, I'm surprised that some of these airlines haven't done it before. I mean, we've got some great pictures uh, as well that John has shared with us, and uh, links to the stories are on the uh, will be in the show notes for those listening to the audio version. But uh, you know, this is the uh, oversight. It's like you can literally shove a helicopter in it. I just love, I just love that that you can, you know, the different size. Pa- I still find it fascinating that you can sort of open the roof. Do you know what I mean? To which I mean, obviously, makes sense to get the large payloads in but it's just such a that what well, they're amazing aircraft it does aren't look they? amazing yeah, yeah. absolutely if and you it, see the videos of these taken off it is yeah i bet unreal i bet it's uh it's a stunning bit of a as i say it looks like a i mean it's been painted to look like a dolphin isn't it that i, I love it <laughs> I, I think it looks like a a dolphin but uh yeah you say look you can even get like a whole aircraft fin in for example it's uh, have you had a chance to see these up close and personal nev or uh yes i have um i went to um Harden, which is where they take off and land, uh, just on the North Wales uh, English border. And, uh, yeah, I've seen a couple of them, uh, the Belugas, and uh, very impressive they are as well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. 
heartbreaking. Incredible, isn't it? It's. Uh, I mean, I. I'd be fascinated to know what impact that those aerodynamics have on on things like fuel burn and stuff like that. Because that, I mean, that must have a, quite the impact, obviously, with the the, the taller fuselage and things. But uh, there we go. Yes, although I guess that that's used for quite short routes, though. Yeah. Um, you know, UK to Spain and Germany and France. Yeah. Um, so not not very long routes, I don't think. Yeah, well, I don't think the cargo area is pressurised. Oh, is it not? Those, okay. Uh, Mind I'm, you, I guess it wouldn't need to the be. The chat room probably. Um, yeah. Yeah, they'll know the answer. Won't they'll they? know the answer. I don't think it's pressurised on the um, on on the uh, Beluga Armando. I don't actually know. Hmm. Oh. I've never seen the Beluga. Um, I've seen the Dreamlifter in Toronto, Italy. When I was flying there, but I don't know too much about these aircraft. Interesting. No. So, from one large aircraft to another large aircraft, and Nev, this is a BA aircraft with a difference. It is, and you might have, uh, if you've been following the UK press uh, this week, last week, the week before, uh, there's been a, a theme in the news about parties mainly, <laughs> uh, allegedly in, involved. <laughs> Uh, the UK government and, and things like that. I'm saying allegedly because the report's not out yet. Um, <laughs> but the the theme continues. And uh, this is on the wiltgloss-standard.co.uk, independent.co.uk, and on YouTube. And it says that an iconic 747 British Airways jet bought for just £1 has become the first in the world to be transformed into a bar to host lavish plane parties. The BA Negus party plane is now in situ at Cotswold Airport and is available for revellers to hire. Uh, it's been remodelled into an event space to host <coughs> excuse me, everything from private, part, uh, private birthday parties to product launches and corporate events. The aircraft is being preserved at the site near Sirencester after British Airways retired its fleet early because of the travel downturn caused by the pandemic. It was bought in 2020 and has since been a labour of love for the airport's chief executive, Susanna Harvey. I paid a pound for her, she says, and we have a certain obligation to maintain it as is uh, maintain it as is practical for public use, she said. Uh, the company has had to spend nearly half a million pounds getting her prepped and ready here, but I think it's money well spent and it preserves her for future generations. Most of the original structure has stayed the same, but the transformation has included uh, stripping out most of the economy section to create the event space and turning the galley into a bar. A full rewiring with custom lighting has also been done, as well as a deep clean. Uh, Susanna added, it's been a long slog. She came into us in uh, October 2020, and at the time I rather naively thought we'd have up and running by the following Easter. We've had such tremendous support from everybody, all the contractors, all the people that have volunteered and who are current BA747 engineers. And here we are finally. She's ready and she's good to go. Anyone wanting to host a party on board will have to pay more than £1,000 an hour. But Susanna said they have been inundated with inquiries, including from Netflix. Right. Okay. N none from number ten, as far as we're aware. Well, perhaps they <laughs> perhaps they've 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 got their request in already. Possibly, yes. It'll be, it'll be anonymous, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. See what I did there. Are we the only ones left on the call? Has everyone gone? <laughs> uh, 
I think everybody's fed up with it. Fair I'm enough. Just... Okay. <laughs> no, sorry. I was, I was being I was being handed a, a cup of tea. I've just oh. brought a cup of tea in. Um, but uh, no, Nev, yeah. I, I love this, and um, the the fact that it's a thousand pounds an hour to rent this to to have a um, a party would probably put me off slightly. Yes, I mean, well, I mean, perhaps we'll give them a call and see if we can uh, pop down there and do a, some interviews or something like that. At least we can then see it for ourselves and then decide whether if it's whether worth one thousand pounds an hour in, in whether the patreon fund can run to it <laughs> yeah i can say in two years time perhaps the price will have dropped perhaps it could be our 500th location there you are yeah. <laughs> I, I said when we had the planner meeting last night for the show i did say say to the guys then that it was it's nice to see the fact that they've not been the whole entire aircraft yeah it does still off. look like an aircraft yeah they've, yeah. they've kept some of the um like the, the, the is it the uh, club world suites nev yeah yeah, they've kept they've kept those and some of the um, premium. I think the um, yeah, but, well but realistically, what sort of state are they going to be in? Especially if there's been a load of revelers, you know, doing what they do, which is revel. You know, I mean, what kind of state are these so-called lovely seats going to be in? I mean, it's not exactly. I don't gonna, think they'll gonna, be allowed the, to, to go in that section. I think it's just yeah. going to be purely for the. But I, I, I'm gutted that they they didn't leave it in flying. Con- well, it probably isn't flying. Con- I think the engines are still on this one, aren't they, Nev? I don't think they took aren't the. They? Um, I don't uh, think they took the Rolls Royce in. They might have done. Mm, can't remember. But it, it would be great to see a flying yeah. nightclub. Hang on, John did give us. Some, oh no, we no. Is that we? I, I thought we got some pictures as well, but we haven't. We just got the that. Video. Is something I'd love to see if it still flow. If it could still fly. Let's see if I can see anything. Uh, I'm just I mean, there might be might be a video. few um, might be a few um, um, CAA safety. Issues. Normally, they re- would remove the engines uh, because yeah. of uh, the, what they want, you know, for parts and stuff. Here we like go. That. Hang on. I found. So. I found. Uh, I think I found. It should be a video. For us, there you go. I'm just. Uh, we're just having a quick pan across. Hmm. Let's have a look. Let's get to the. Oh. oh. <laughs> That's the tail end section. Yeah. I don't know. The 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 exhaust and everything's all still there, isn't it? Hmm. No. No clue on no, the, the video. APU, yeah. APU exhaust is there. Yeah. You can't really. Oh, hang on. No, I think I think you're right. Hang on, they are still there. Look, hang on. Um, mm. There you go. Look, they are still oh, yes. there. Oh, oh yeah. Well, there you are. I thought they would have sold them, but mm. Mm. well. Aha! Aircraft experts. Those are engines, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, all right. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. You, you make a valid point. To be fair. <laughs> Thank you, Armando. <laughs> And actually, while we're on the subject of Armando, uh, next story is yours, and it's all about largest aircraft. Yeah, aircraft engines galore. This one has six engines. Uh, if you guys haven't seen this video, the world's the actual world's largest aircraft now has been doing a couple of test flights. Ooh. So this article came out on uh, Flying Magazine, uh, and it's the pilots talking about uh, their experiences with these these uh, with this aircraft so this is 500,000 pound six engine twin fuselage jet and it was flying a low approach over the runway about 100 feet uh and, and the pilot that's called the straddle launch the pilot uh mark Guidro giddings goes by Guidro, was flying left seat in the world's largest airplane it was the result of months and months of simulator practice and years of experience his co-pilot evan thomas and a flight engineer jake riley they successfully completed the uh, third test flight on Sunday of this aircraft. They've nicknamed it the Rock 
which is scheduled to begin air launching hypersonic test vehicles later this year. Now, this massive aircraft, as you're watching the video and looking at the pictures, took off from runway 30 at Mojave Air and Space Port a little bit before 9 a.m. last Sunday. The vis uh, visibility was clear, the air was smooth, and the winds were calm. Thomas, the co-pilot, said it was a great day to fly. The cloud deck was down to 7,000 feet, and we just decided to hope for the best. That's always great in aviation. Hope for the best, and it kind of <laughs> opened up and allowed us to fly. Uh, now, this was Giddings' first time in the Rock's left seat. Eight months earlier, during the test flight number two, Giddings sat in the right the right seat, running the throttles and watching uh, Thomas handle the landing, right? So they're taking uh, turns going back and forth. It was nearly a four and a half hour mission, turned out to be the program's most productive flight so far, expanding the proven test envelope uh, to an altitude of 23,500 feet and a maximum speed of 180 knots indicated airspeed. Now the crew successfully moved the aircraft's landing gear doors, retracted and re-extended one of its landing gear. Oh, they should have tried all of them. Um, proving for the first time that the system would actually operate during flight. So as a veteran U.S. Air Force test pilot, how do you land an airplane with a 385-foot wingspan? Uh, and how does it rank against landing other notable jets in his career? So he told Flying Magazine that for him, this was up there with landing the U-2. Uh, it was definitely exciting, probably an understatement. To ensure the safest landing possible, the flight crew flew two low approaches over the runway. During the second pass, the Strata Launch Chief Technical Officer, Daniel Millman, uh, described that uh, Giddings carefully controlled the airplane about 100 feet off the ground, flying along the, the uh, center line to ensure that he had the controllability that he was looking for, what they used to call in the B-52 a landing attitude demo. And Giddings said it was interesting because the first approach wasn't as stable as he wanted it to be, uh, it was his first time in the pattern, so for the second pass, he worked on increasing the aircraft's stability, and all of that training that they had done came into play with that. Another key mission for the goal uh, for the flight on Sunday was to retract and extend the mid-main gear on the left fuselage. Man, this is going to get complicated for the uh, for the first time in flight. For this, the pilots would actually need assistance from straddle launches, says the citation, the chase plane. The uh, pilots have always coordinated with a chase plane during flight. Chase airplanes are, of course, part of a standard formation, and the crew aboard that chase plane became an extra set of eyes for what was happening with the rest of the airplane. In the coming months, we can expect to see this aircraft fly a little bit more often. That's according to uh, the chief technical officer. Plans are already underway for a fourth test flight, and following that, a pylon will be installed on the aircraft's uh, wing on their fifth flight to allow it it to carry and launch hypersonic test vehicles. It looks it looks interesting. Um, yeah, it's certainly yeah, interesting. I'd just be a bit worried about that actual well, not a join, but that kind of central section between the two aircraft, where essentially I suppose you could say they would be joined together. But I think on yeah, the video. You know, there's been quite a few, well, I guess maybe not quite a few, but enough um, aircraft that have been made with uh, two fuselage, fuselages, fuselage, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what is the plural uh, of that? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I guess like a couple of them long things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure they've thought about this, but like Micah says in the chat room, it looks like a B-52 
uh, B-52 mated with uh, Burt Rutan's Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> now, there, there, is, there is an image that uh, will, will frighten people for years. Yeah. Wow. And there you go. Arnie come, coming in with a knowledge bomb. He says that the Strato launch, uh, people call the airplane the rock after the giant eagle of Arabian mythology. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love, love that. You see, guys, that's why we have a chat room. Absolutely. They know far Honestly. more than we ever will. Blimey. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> So the next story, moving on to uh, story number five, this one, one mile at a time, this comes to us from uh, .com, liveandletsfly.com and mako.co.il. And uh, everyone knows I do love a, I do love an upgrade, especially right. when they're free. Okay. Um, <laughs> definitely love an upgrade when they're free. And uh, this headline is United Airlines flight to Israel uh, diverts due to self upgraders. I have to admit, I always wait to be asked if I want an upgrade. I don't just go and assume I'm going to have an upgrade. Uh, The incident involves United Airlines flight UA90 from Newark uh, to Tel Aviv uh, on Thursday, January the 20th. Operated by 787-10, the flight was scheduled to depart Newark at uh, 11.05pm and arrive in Tel Aviv at 4.20pm Friday. The flight departed Newark as scheduled, but then problems arose after takeoff. According to reports, two passengers tried to self-upgrade themselves to business class, thinking that because the cabin wasn't full, they should be allowed to sit there. Of course, the crew told them that's not how it works, but the passengers refused to comply and return to their original assigned seats, and witnesses on board claim that these passengers then rioted. Yes, you heard me right. They had a riot. At this point, the plane was near United States and Canada border, and the decision was made to return to Newark uh, to offload the passengers. Uh, the plane ended up landing back at Newark shortly after 1.30am, a bit over two hours after departure. Police met uh, the flight on arrival, and the passengers were allegedly arrested. Uh, the United's flight status page suggests that the airline tried to reschedule the flight at 2.20am, however, the flight was eventually cancelled. Wow. Okay. Uh, Nev? Uh, Pro tip from your (laughs) Uncle Nev. uh, Don't riot on a plane. Right. Yes. (laughs) And one thing that was interesting on this one, um, from uh, Newark to Tel Aviv, is quite a long slog, um, on a 787-10. I can't remember if there's any fuel dumping facility on that aircraft or not. Um, but the flight might have landed overweight as well. So much ongoing delay and all the rest of it, I would imagine. And um, someone did tell me what sort of the cost of a diversion is or a return to uh, your home airport. I mean, it's sort of... I don't suppose it's cheap. Ten or $20,000. Oh, at least, yeah, absolutely. It's a lot. Um, Especially, of course, then everybody's out of position and the crew might go out of hours now because of the, the the delay they've picked up all sorts of things uh ongoing so um yeah horrific yeah i i just i still i still can't get my head round how in this day and age this is still a thing i, I mean i do despair for the human race sometimes i really do <sighs> i i mean you guys know what happened with me you know i flew out to the us last month and you know, BA very kindly off offered. You know, they yeah. upgraded me. 
and you know, and it, it was nice that they upgraded, and I accepted obviously because it was you know better to sit in the uh, yeah. nicer space cabin. Um, <laughs> but you know that it, that was a nice gesture from the crew, and it yeah. was it was fantastic. You know, a really nice thing to do. But you don't, you know, as much as we walk past the first class and business class sections when you're doing long haul flights, and they may be empty, mm. which a lot of times they sometimes are empty seats. I mean, to, to think that you think, oh, I'll just get up at my economy seat, just walk forward and plonk myself down in first class, you know, after I paid 300 quid for my economy seat. Yeah, it's not going to, doesn't wash very well, I don't yeah. think, with the crews. It's the I whole think, it's the whole lack of respect thing. That's the, still the thing that's annoying yeah, me. Rough, rough numbers. There's, an on average, 115,000 commercial flights every single day. So I mean, this is this is statistically minor, and probably along the lines of people that are going to be dumb and don't understand the consequences of their actions. So it's it's probably right in line with, you know, yeah. with other modes of transportation or just yeah. in general life. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I because I guarantee you, if they're doing this in the air, they they probably live their lives. Doing way, that on right. the ground, yeah, true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could, could you could you imagine poor poor Nev, you know, sitting in one A, and someone from row four hundred million comes up to to Nev's, you know, row and plunks. Well, I I, I just give them the look. That's <laughs> that is true. That would be very effective. It has to be said. That'd be far effective. Also, I have to effective. take my mask off to do it. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> so but I think in that scenario, it'd be worth it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Mark Mark has been in touch to, via the WhatsApp. It says that. Um, uh, just give them the bill while they're in jail. jail. Um, you know, can't believe how stupid some people can be. Uh, very dangerous to safety of, of this, of, well, this or any aircraft, to be fair. Yeah. John, yeah. I think John said in, in our internal notes, he said his opinion is that United should absolutely pursue Throw them for the, every absolutely. bit of the, uh, the disruption. Yeah. I, it's, almost, it's almost like it almost shouldn't matter how much something like this costs to put through the courts, do you know what I mean? There, there's a principle at stake here, in my opinion. Yeah. Not good. No, no. So, Matt, not. yes. Um, next story um, for you, and this is regarding. Actually, we were talking about this last night. It's regarding an airline that actually right. has some aircraft stored at Norwich Airport. Oh, okay, mm. all right. Anyway, then, so uh, it's from SimpleFlying.com, and the headline is "Flight Systems Stolen." Um, from Arik Air Boeing 737. Wow. And Arik Air Boeing uh, 737 is minus its flight management system after thieves broke into the plane while it was parked in Lagos uh, and made off with a valuable piece of kit. The theft was followed by another security breach where customs officials uh, threatened airport security officers with violence if they did not let them pass uh, unhit unhindered through a security gate. According to Nigerian news outlets, the theft took place late last Wednesday evening or in the early hours of Thursday morning. The jet, a Boeing 737-700 registration Echo Indi India Union Lima November, leased uh, from NZ's uh, airlines, had arrived in Murtla Muhammad 
International Airport from Harcourt late on Wednesday afternoon. Airport insiders say that the theft occurred between 2300 hours on Wednesday, uh, the 19th of January, and 7,700 hours the next day. In addition to the flight management system, thieves tampered with the pilot statistic cover. Um, with the pilot static. static cover and uh, other sensitive parts of the aircraft. The aircraft was parked inside the tarmac at MM2, the airport's domestic Terminal 2, and uh, someone got access to the electric, electrical uh, electronic base where we have all the systems, Nigeria, Nigeria's Daily Sun was told. There is a door underneath the aircraft where they opened and got access to remove the flight management computer. It is impossible for a novice to have successfully removed the flight computer uh, management system uh, that was stolen uh, clearly by an expert, the unnamed insider said. The theft rendered the Arik Air Boeing inoperable. It has remained in Lagos since the incident and has knock-on effects on across the Arik Air network. Uh, Lagos, uh, uh, based in uh, based, uh, try that again. Uh, Lagos, based Arik Air has a fleet of eighteen planes, including five Boeing seven three seven three hundreds that scoot around Nigeria and the West African region. The airline has two seven three seven seven hundreds on lease from Mongolia-based Enzi's airline, uh, essential to any modern air uh, commercial passenger plane. The flight management system automates a wide variety of in-flight tasks, including flight plans, navigation, and position determination. Uh, the equipment that was stolen is small, but it it cost a lot of money the, to repair it. It's going to cost around $15,000, and a brand new one costs something in the region of $300,000 as of 2021, the Sons source said. Every item uh, in an airplane has serial numbers and can be tracked anywhere in the world, so I don't know how the thief intends selling it unless the person has a vendor that is why we believe it's an internal sabotage the source said i mean this is not like uh a part that you can steal and then shove in another machine is it i mean it's not uh you know unless you've got access to another 737-700 it's not well, going to be a great it. deal of use to you is it <laughs> i mean i mean we don't tend to cover many stories on this show about airlines stealing parts of other uh, yeah. other airlines aircraft That's so yeah i think this is this was you know a, a group of people who thought oh probably that looked nice on my um you know office wall i'll steal this are, or... are they a nice looking bit of kit though does not anybody really. know what one I, looks it, like i mean as much as i would love to have one sitting here on the desk next to me they're not exactly i'd rather have something more um interesting hanging right up. okay i mean it's not even like yeah. it's got lights on it or anything I suppose. Well, no, <laughs> well, it's just, no it's just a box isn't it with some wires that go into and out of it but i, th I think this uh, this airport needs to beef up their security slightly i think you're right Hmm. Yeah. Any particular part of an aircraft you'd like to um, steal, Nev, or seat one A, um, for example? Don't worry, nobody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, no, I think I'd, I'd rather reserve judgment on that. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> just in case uh, the legal department is. Uh, That's true. Yes. Uh, he says as he as he pushes away all his BA silver spoons yes, and cutlery sets. <laughs> and How rude! Salt and pepper shakers. 
That that is slanderous right there, Nev. I'd go for him if I were you. That's outrageous. <laughs> anyway, Nev, sticking with you, and you've got some news from BA for all our US listeners. Yeah, this is great, actually. About time, too. Uh, it's on the uh, travelandledger.com website, uh, passengerterminaltoday.com, executivetraveller.com, and breakingtravelnews.com. Uh, from uh, December of this year, 2022, BA will move out of its long-standing home at JFK's Terminal 7 and into Terminal 8 at the other end of the Terminal Precinct, where it will share the lounges of one world partner, American Airlines. The shift will strengthen the two airlines' uh, transatlantic joint business venture, which also includes BA siblings Iberia and Aer Lingus, along with Finnair. Finnair al- already operates from Terminal 8, however... Uh, Iberia and Aer Lingus have not indicated their intent to move as of yet. The move will also clear the way for the ageing Terminal 7 to be demolished and replaced by an all-new Terminal 6, which will become JetBlue's JFK hub. Uh, As customers arrive at Terminal 8, the two co-branded American Airlines and British Airways premium check-in areas, providing personalised concierge-style service for top-tier guests, will replace Americans' former flagship first check-in space. Once through security, three distinctive custom lounges combining the best of both brands will provide a refined, welcoming pre-flight experience for selected guests based on cabin of travel and loyalty programme status. The expanded premium lounge offerings will incorporate seating for approximately 1,000 American and BA customers. The most exclusive lounge of the trio uh, will go all out with a champagne bar, fireside lounge and an a la carte dining room. This is expected to be the new T8 Concord room equivalent, which is a fully fledged first class lounge restricted to passengers travelling in the Primo cabin, along with the likes of elite invitation only programmes such as British Airways Executive Executive Club. Premier, um, American Airlines Concierge Key and Qantas's Chairman's Lounge. Uh, next door to this will be another premium lounge, uh, the hallmarks of which will include sweeping airside views, a wine bar, cocktail lounge, library and buffet. Meanwhile, two existing American Airlines lounges at T8, the already massive flagship lounge and the adjacent Admirals Club at T7 in Concourse B will be combined to create a contiguous lounge Uh, for eligible business class customers, making it uh, to uh, BA's T7 Club Lounge and thus also welcoming BA Executive Club Silver Frequent Flyers. The revamped Terminal 8 will include five new wide-body gates, enhanced baggage handling system and about 130,000 square feet of new and renovated terminal space. Well, that sounds rather flash, doesn't it? And uh, can't wait to try that out uh, when it's built at the end of the year. It does look look nice. I will Mm. say that the pictures look lovely. Yeah. And um, I think it'd be nice if this lounge access is offered um, to, you know, people who want to just sort of pay a a fare or a fee or something to to use it now. Yeah, some of the uh, airlines do offer that. um, But um, a lot of it, uh, quite often you have to have, you know, a, a flying status with the airline or to have access but there there are pay for lounges as well usually whether they're mm-hmm. going to offer that in this case or not i don't know you know this may be slightly controversial but i've always thought that you guys over in europe have really nice looking airport terminals and this renovation of jfk's terminal 8 really reminds me of 
of a of a European style. Maybe it's the same companies that renovate airport terminals. Maybe it's probably not that many of them. But um, I know here in Charlotte, we're going through a, a multi billion dollar oh, terminal yeah. renovation, and and it and it's actually looking very European, which is nice. I I love the way you guys do the. Um, that's twice we're going to say the word aesthetics on the show. Hmm. Um, yeah, the uh, the aesthetics of your airport terminals over there. I've always really enjoyed, specifically Norway. <laughs> I, I think Norway's terminals are, are really pretty. Actually, all the Scandinavian ones are, I think. I'm off to uh, Copenhagen and Stockholm next week, so I should be sampling some of those. But uh, yeah, the, the design and the, the layouts in particular, I, I quite like, I must say. Yeah, yeah they're calming. That's what mm. I thought going yeah. through Scandinavian airports there. They calm your experience as you're, you know, trucking across the ocean or, or whatever. And they, yeah, Me Megan is across the desk from me and she said it was like a living wall. Which is true. I think I remember that airport in Oslo, was it? Or was it Reykjavik? Reykjavik. It was Reykjavik terminal that it was, you know, had ivy on the walls. And then the, the food offerings there were, were natural and fresh and lots of uh, wood and natural materials. Lots of fish, she says. Oh, yeah, it would be. Yes. <laughs> what, what's, no, if you, who, was, who doesn't want to fly after eating a bunch of fish? You're you're well travelled within Europe, Nev. What's what's your favourite uh, airport in Europe to to travel Ooh, into? Um, let me think. Um, I think the problem is that they've a lot of them have got very big, <clears throat> and as as they've got big, they've become louder and, and not quite so personalised. If you see what I mean. Having said that, <clears throat> uh, Copenhagen in particular has expanded massively over the last ten years or so, but they've still. Uh, have the ability to to make it fairly calming inside um and say so the lounge layouts are very nice in there so i was going to try that out on uh, monday when i get there um Ooh. so uh yeah because i've not been back to copenhagen for probably oh five, six seven years i guess something like that so oh uh, npe then possible uh, might well do that yes Ooh. yes i might well do that exciting when's the last time anyone went through luton Sorry, I mean, I talking about calming, calming experience. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it was a few years ago. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. Um, yeah, but you see, yeah, you see, you, you're all horrible about Luton. But I have to say, the last it's time, it's a no, it's airport. not. I don't, I don't it's agree. Our LaGuardia. La last time, oh. last time, me and me, myself and Mum went through no. there. It was absolutely brilliant. Admittedly, we were uh, participating in the whole. Um, uh, what, what's the word? The the uh, uh, freebies? No, no, no. The passenger oh. um, assistance element to it, and that made it oh. a very, very pleasant experience because we had our own little lounge to go and sit in, and, and all that kind of thing. So uh, I think it's. Oh, um, and were you drinking lager at five thirty in the morning, like like they all do? Need uh, to go I through. Mean, I, I, admittedly, I did have a pint of cider with my breakfast at six a.m. Oh. <laughs> uh, Neil, Neil in the chat room is defending Luton. I have to say it's been about three years since i've been to luton and that was the height of the construction there so okay yes it yeah. was quite yeah yeah it's it's they have been doing a lot <laughs> of building work I, I will give you that uh, andy wilson says in the chat room that he he doesn't miss luton at all yeah he would know huh yeah that is true that is very true yes anyway armando sticking with you and um moving to your neck of the woods yeah, this is down, right down the street. It's about 45 minutes, which is why I chose this story for this show. We've, I love we've, that. Uh, right down the street, 45 minutes away. <laughs> you Americans oh, yeah. are crazy. 
Uh, like, we're, we're, we, we're, we're losing our minds if we have to travel like 12 miles, Armando. <laughs> oh, I giggle. I giggle when I drive on your motorways and I see yeah. signs that say, make sure you take a rest every two hours. Yeah. Two hours is how long I sit in traffic on my daily commute. Like, <laughs> True it, that. True you that. know, if you live in the Washington, D.C. area or really any metropolitan area, but yeah. it is a, it's about 20 miles from where my parents live in Fredericksburg to downtown Washington, D.C., right. where they worked, yeah. and it would take them two hours. Wow. That was a two-hour drive to, to go 25 miles or something like that. What? Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, my daily commute is an hour and 15 minutes to the airport, as uh, Carlos saw there. <laughs> yeah. So if I end up getting a job at Boom Supersonic, uh, because we might as well go talk about the story, Boom Supersonic has chosen Piedmont Triad International Airport, wink, wink, if you know uh, any other podcasts, um, in North Carolina <laughs> as its site for its first full-scale manufacturing plant. Now, the company says that it will be where Boom manufactures the world's fastest and most sustainable supersonic airliner. Builders are set to break ground this year, 2022, and begin production 2024 on the aircraft. The company says that the site, nicknamed the Overture Super Factory, will be a state-of-the-art manufacturing facility, final assembly line, test facility, and customer delivery center for the Overture Supersonic Airline. Now, that's the one that we've been talking about on the show. That's the one that United Airlines signed up to the tune of something like uh, 50, uh, oh no, it was uh, 50 million, 110 million. I can't remember. Um, so this aircraft is uh, gonna bring about 2,400 jobs to the local area by the year 2032. Um, that's great for this this area. Um, they said uh, the uh, CEO of Boom Supersonic, Blake Scholl, said that selecting the site for overture manufacturing is a significant step forward in bringing sustainable supersonic air travel to passengers and airlines with some of the country's best and brightest aviation talent, key suppliers, and the state of North Carolina's continued support. Uh, Boom is confident that Greensboro will emerge as the world's supersonic manufacturing hub. So why North Carolina out of all 50 states? Uh, the choice of Greensboro was actually uh, partly due to the availability of a strong aerospace workforce. Uh, here in North Carolina, we have a strong presence of military veterans. Boom is also looking at the surrounding areas and found that North Carolina offers access to many technical schools, which could funnel highly skilled workers to the factory and uh, North Carolina's universities are, are world renowned. Uh, the Piedmont Triad area, in, which is Greensboro, is also close to many other tier one aerospace suppliers. This will make access to valued aviation resources seamless. And lastly, the close proximity to the East Coast will allow for supersonic test flights over the Atlantic. So it's both poetic and poetic, poetic and logical that boom supersonic would choose the states that first that's first in flight for its first manufacturing plant, according to the North Carolina governor, Roy Cooper. Uh, like the success of the Wright brothers at Kitty Hawk, this innovative company will succeed by transforming passenger air travel with speed and sustainable energy. Um, so while the manufacturing center will be here in Greensboro, North Carolina, the headquarters for Boom Aerospace will remain in Denver, Colorado. Um, the article goes on here, but in 2022, the contractors are expected to being, begin construction. It's about 400,000 square feet uh, facility on a 65-acre uh, campus. A bunch of internships, 
first flights expected by about 2026, the year 2026. And of course, the aircraft we've talked about already, but it's it's basically 65 to 88 passengers operating on a 100% sustainable aviation fuel um, capable of New York to London in three and a half hours. So getting time in half. There you go. Uh, and Boom Supersonic obviously is doing uh, very well. I talked about United Airlines. And then uh, Japan Airlines uh, has also chipped in $10 million for the development of this airline airliner with an option to purchase 20 of them. And uh, I can't remember if we did an article on this, but the U.S. Air Force actually pitched in $60 million um, in a strategic partnership with Boom Aerospace, uh, bringing the, the company's total funding for this project at least to $270 million. So, Wow. Yeah. Very cool, huh? So because they're breaking ground right down the street, we can maybe do the, the 600th uh, <laughs> episode from the Boom Supersonic factory I like here it. in Greensboro. I like, I like your thinking. I like it. <laughs> well, by that time, the airplane will be flying. and It'll only take you guys. You, guys, you could come here before lunch. We'll do the show, 500th, or sorry, yeah. 600th. And then fly back home the next time. Well, and, the, and, and if player player still operating by then, we can do it at a very reasonable rate. Three hundred well. quid, less than three hundred quid. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Amen Bonus. to that. Well, Bonus. Nev can take it back to his childhood and fly transatlantic on the Boom Supersonic. Would Ooh. you? Would you uh, do it? Yes, I would. Yes, having been on one supersonic aircraft well, in yeah. my life, it would the be, only. Uh, yeah. Nice if I can go on another one at some point. Um, mm. So yeah. I guess great. the only downside it's it's going to be United Airlines. So, oh, oh dear, oh, well, <laughs> Brian Coleman will be fine. Then. Yeah, have plenty of air miles. To, well, um, yes, so my Star Alliance uh, status ran out many years ago. I'm afraid, so. <laughs> no. Yeah, no chance. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> now, Matt, yes. you have got the next story, and um, Nev. You'll need to grab the tissues because you are going to cry when you hear oh, this. Oh, dear. So I've, I've got the uh, gaffer tape. Got the ready. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you can't mend it with gaffer tape, you know what they say. You haven't used enough. <laughs> True. Yeah. There is. There is. Absolutely. Anyway, this is from several sources, uh, one mile at a time. Simple flying and Twitter as well. And uh, it's quite a shocking story, actually. Door ripped off of a British Airways Boeing 777 in Cape Town. A British Airways Boeing 777-200ER lost a door between flights at Cape Town Airport CPT today. Uh, the 21-year-old plane, which had the registration code Golf Yankee Mike Mike Hotel, flew from London to Cape Town on Tuesday evening, landing in Cape Town early Wednesday morning. The aircraft on this BA rotation is typically expected to be on the ground in Cape Town for around 12 hours. Rather than occupying a gate all day, the plane is moved to a parking stand for much of the day. This is standard practice at busy airports as it allows the gate to be used for other flights and parking stands cost less to occupy than gates. Unfortunately, after arrival, things didn't exactly go as planned. It seems that Wednesday's incident occurred as the aircraft
aircraft was being sent towards its parking stand for the day. The door came off the plane while it was being towed with no passengers on board. It was suggested that the jet bridge was left attached to the aircraft, ripping off the door as the plane was pushed past it. Uh, the plane was supposed to sit at Cape Town Airport all day and then operate an overnight flight back to London Heathrow, departing at 915 p.m. with the flight number BA42. As you'd expect, that flight was cancelled. Uh, while there's a lot in the airline industry that can be fixed with duct tape and or industry standard speed tape, this hopefully isn't one of those things. It's understood that the aircraft is still on the ground in Cape Town. Now, actually, uh, Nev, we, we discuss sort of like media fails amongst ourselves quite re readily. And I think, if I seem to remember, I saw some quite shocking headlines about this on both the Daily Mail and the Express. And they were proper clickbait um, headlines. Um, and on first glance, when you read this, I thought this had happened in the air. And mm. every fibre of my being was thinking, I just do not understand how this was possible. So, I mean, it worked because I wouldn't normally click on those ads because they annoy me. Uh, it worked because I clicked on it because I was so shocked by the headline that I went. And of course, you know, essentially when you read the article like we've done here... Um, uh, I mean, one of the other things was, you know, it, flight cancelled as door is lost, uh, is door is lost, as door is lost off BA airplane. And it's like you read that and you just think, whoa, hang on, <laughs> what's going on here? I mean, There's been a suggestion by uh, Neil Lamborn in the chat room and others that Carlos is trying to get some more uh, parts uh, to add oh, to that's his collection. Sneaky, isn't it? Uh, and that's fair enough. Mm. But this is probably a bit extreme way of doing it. It's a it, very it? extreme way of doing it. I mean, uh, I don't know. Where would you hang it? It's probably quite heavy, Carlos. You can't really just oh, hang yes. it on Oh, the trust me, Matt. Yeah. I would find oh, somewhere you would. to put Right, that. okay. I mean, it's, you know, I'm just popping for those watching on YouTube. As I say, the links to the stories will be in the show notes for those who are listening uh, in the audio podcast. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's basically the door. I mean, the door doesn't actually look that badly damaged apart from the hinge aspect to it so i mean i don't suppose it will be a massively complicated repair i would have thought Perhaps, well it'll be interesting know. to know how it happened won't yeah it? um yeah how was, the, push was, back? was the door open when they were pushing back the aircraft and if it was somebody in the flight deck yeah a might have noticed there was a bit of a draft mm. coming underneath the uh flight deck door you'd like to be so. probably should have seen something on the uh, aircraft to inform them that the door was open um, if it's being pushed by a tug though this i mean perhaps again i don't know enough about airport operations probably, probably was, somebody man. please somebody please do correct me i mean is there a chance being it's back. being pushed back with a tug would there necessarily have been anybody within the aircraft itself oh, yeah. to notice something like this? Mm. I mean, yeah. would it have been... Would there's got to be, some, be on someone on the flight tech, right. tech that's deck that's qualified uh, to operate the aircraft for towing operations. Absolutely. Okay. And, of course, they're in communication with each other as well, uh, just like in if, if it's operating normal flights. So there, so, should, uh, there should have been, like, warning lights and stuff. I mean, would it, would it have been powered up enough for, like, warning uh, there, lights? I would th there'll be some electrics on the aircraft, yeah. I, I would have imagined. So, yeah. yes. Um, but... Um, yeah, that's. Um, I'm just trying to get my head around how something like this would happen. Yeah, <laughs> Is, isn't it? Isn't it the standard thing? Doors close first before the aircraft is pushed back. I think it's the way forward. I think that's a really good way of operating the aircraft. Yes, um, <laughs> to avoid <laughs> Quite, this sort of thing happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, and there's a lot of fails on this one. There, I mean, the the jetway was obviously supposed to move before the aircraft gets moved. Uh, there was obviously supposed to be somebody in the flight deck making sure that things are ready for the aircraft to move. And then the the tug driver, although the tug driver can't see mm. the open door mm. if, yeah. the, if the jetway yeah. is on it. So yeah, but surely um, there should have been an alarm bell there in the fact that the 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 air bridge was still on it. Yeah, Very that's true, Matt. A pretty, pretty big fail right there. Yep. <laughs> I just, I can't, I just can't move the airplane with a. I literally, I mean, it's almost like I, 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 the only scenario I can think of where this is vaguely okay is, but for some bizarre reason, the aircraft rolled away from it on its own. Do you know what I mean? It's just like I can't. I just don't understand even, how even, this happened. Even you wouldn't get this wrong, Matt. I mean, I'm going to say uh, I, I'm not. I, no, I'm not going. No, I'm not going to say that I would or just wouldn't. Saying. To be honest with you, it's just uh, um, you know, it's just I, it's just such a bizarre story. Um, you know, it's just, I just as you say, there are so many things wrong with this story. Like this should be this should be impossible somehow. There must be a way of making this impossible to happen. Anyway, strange. Anyway. Next story, and Nev, this is great news for um, for everyone who gets a chance to sit uh, in those posh seats. Mm, yes, on the executivetraveller.com, it says that single-aisle jets like the Airbus A320neo family and Boeing 737 MAX are carving out a larger piece of the sky, especially for the medium-range flights to a range of destinations where the economics are more favourable than larger twin-aisle jets. Airlines are now facing a challenge at the pointy end of the plane where the benchmark has become a lie-flat bed with direct aisle access, such as seen as jet in JetBlue's Airbus A321LR Mint Business Class. But one seat either side of the aisle limits the number of business class seats and in turn caps the number of high revenue generating passengers. The only way to increase the number of lie flat seats is to remove direct aisle access for some passengers, an approach followed by Singapore Airlines amongst others with its new Boeing 737 MAX Business Class. According to London-based Factory Design, the answer is access. Its new aptly named business class concept, which adopts a unique fan layout for its tour breast seating to provide direct aisle access for every passenger. In an access business class cabin, the seats on either side of the centre aisle fan out into something of a wedge shape and are not only staggered but physically separated so that passengers in the window seat can sidle into the space between the paired seats seats and then step straight into the aisle. Uh, access seats recline into what's called a lazy Z, uh, a relaxed shape somewhat closer to a beach chair rather than a flat bed. Importantly, these fixed back seats also recline into their own space or shell, so there's no intrusion on the passenger behind. In this way, factory design says access bridges the gap between a standard 2 plus 2 configuration and lie flat bed products. For added flexibility, factory design says that the space between the access seats could be closed off to provide additional console space for couples travelling together. Factory designs uh, reasons that access can uh, help airlines maximum the potential of commercial benefits of long-range narrow-body aircraft with an estimated 25% boost in seating capacity over lie flat 1 plus 1 seating. 
Well, it this is good. all about it. It, uh, it does, doesn't it? And of course, it's all about the economics. And we know full well that um, the airlines need to get those folks into premium economy and uh, business and first to, to try and make all the all the numbers work again because they've had so little revenue over the last couple of years but this is an interesting approach and i would be very keen to see mm. how this works yeah. and certainly those those longer routes you know the a321s are doing from the east coast of us to the uk and even perhaps from you know, Ireland to Tel Aviv, you know, th those medium haul routes and also down to the Canary Islands as well. Be interesting to see what the, uh, how they are, uh, how they are. Yeah, it's a, it's a good idea, Nev, because yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where the, where the seat, a lot of the seat configurations that are currently used by many airlines, you know, in business or, you know, in the business um, area, you know, when you want to get up to go to the lavatory, mm. you've got to interrupt the person who's, probably reclined and has their their feet out next to you you've got to either step over them or ask them to move which is annoying and this this sort of alleviates that yeah. um i mean i just popping the picture up there if you are listening to the audio version of this executive traveler.com is the website you want to go to for it's this, a good idea it, it is a it, as i say it's just that the, the the diagram that we've got up at the moment has got a great sort of like you know the way it's been laid out really makes clear how how as you say you, you don't need that direct R access really if if you place it correctly i mean it's still a bit cozy isn't it around by the uh, around by each seat but there's nothing to stop you from getting up and getting away is there i mean it's it's brilliant hey, uh, I, they... I, I wouldn't see this causing you a problem in an emergency either if you sort i mean it's that same sort of Thing. If they if they're looking for guinea pigs to try right. out these new seats okay. on aircraft, yeah. we are all as a team available. Well, and also, uh, you know, as as the uh, let's let's put it this way, the largest member of the team, I would be a perfect candidate to make sure that it was very <laughs> easy for you to get in and out, and also comfortable. If you can make me feel comfortable on an aircraft, <laughs> you're winning, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, that's, Armando, my, that's my pitch. <laughs> Armando, you've got um, you've got the next story, and it's it's about an air, aircraft manufacturer that um, I think has got quite a heritage behind them. Yeah, Friedrichshafen in uh, Germany. <laughs> uh, actually, the Dordogne Museum in Friedrichshafen is awesome. If anybody ever gets a chance to see it, some cool airplanes in there, especially sitting out right in front. Um, so Dordogne, we're talking about them, big airline uh, airplane manufacturer. Long history is now adding a light sport seaplane to its lineup. Um, so this uh, article is actually talking about three different aircraft. So hang in there with us as we talk about them. Uh, but Dornier Sea Wings has gone all in on its plans to launch a line of amphibious aircraft with the announcement this last Wednesday that it, it has acquired the Fly Whale FW650 and all of its assets from Uniplanes. Um, now, this light sport seaplane joins the Dornier Sea Wings main project, which is the Dornier Sea Star. Uh, it's an inline twin turboprop amphibian. Um, the lights, uh, or sorry, the Flywell Fly Whale fits very well into our product portfolio, given its flying boat configuration and proven design features, such as corrosion free composites, high wings, and engine, as well as sponsons. Uh, that's according to Amy Penn, the CEO of Dornier Sea Wings. According to her, the mission, uh, their mission is to revive the Dornier flying boat tradition 
with advanced technology to provide their customers with a unique experience of superior mobility that combines water, land, and air operations. So the Dornier C-Wings anticipates that it will market the two-seat aircraft worldwide under the model designation Dornier DS2C. Uh, it's expected to travel about 119 knots, um, which is here in the U.S. at least, the maximum for a light sport aircraft with a range of greater than 540 nautical miles. Max takeoff will be uh, max takeoff weight will be four, uh, 1433 pounds. That's also per LSA category rules and takeoff and land in about a thousand feet. Now the con the company uh, launched its reentry into the flying boat scene in 2016 when it announced a partnership with Diamond Aircraft in Canada to build a composite airframe components for the CD2 turboprop. The aircraft that aircraft features two. Uh, Pratt & Whitney PT6 power plants, which are also manufactured in Canada. Um, now, the Seastar made its first flight on March 23rd, 2020 from the and EDMO airport in Germany. And uh, the company plans to leverage what it learns from the development of that DS2C into the top uh, line project in the advanced air mobility space, according to them. Um, and of course, they're going to develop a D s two c x e v tall that's that's yeah right uh it's an amphibious light jet the dornier is exploring multiple options for powering this e v tall including hybrid hydrogen electric electric hybrid using alternative fuels and also um they're joining with some uh ventures out in china um that to help them develop this aircraft. So three different aircraft coming to you from Dornier, which, um, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, Nick, uh, Nick can, who's joined us in the, uh, in the chat room. Hello, by the way, to, uh, everyone who's uh, just joined us in the uh, chat room. Nice to see lots of new faces in there. Uh, Nick, uh, can said that uh, about Dornier making, uh, flying boats during the second world war and they did actually they they produced the uh, dornier 24 uh, which was built as a bomber reconnaissance and air sea rescue flying boat uh, that was produced back in 1937 and was produced right until 1945 so yeah they did actually produce a, a few other ones actually flying boats um during uh, world war ii so yeah and there's not a lot of them left uh yeah. even in museums that that's why I, I thought the museum there in friedrichshafen was was uh pretty cool they're the one sitting out in front i forget the designation but it's a uh it's a jet so it's a twin uh turbo jet uh that takes off vertically so it's a vtol um Dornier, yeah very innovative company all the way back you know 75 years yeah, actually, the the, the the Dornier 24 was used up until 1967 in the Spanish Air Force. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah, there we go. Well done. Uh, thanks for that, Armando. And story. <laughs> the last story in the commercial news segment this week. And uh, this has got some interesting pictures. I think Matt's got the pictures to pop up on the screen. And uh, we've all seen um, aircraft such as the 747 um, with engines fitted. But it's amazing to see what happens when the engines are removed 
and we have some snow. And I said snow, Matt, not snow. Right, just checking. Uh, this is yeah. uh, coming to us from aviation24.be and uh, snow-covered stored Olympic Airways 747-200 tips on its tail. So uh, a snow blizzard has paralyzed a large part of Greece and Turkey and a rare occurrence in that part of Europe. Uh, Alex Philippoulos, a Greek photographer, was able to capture a few amazing shots of a stored 747-200 registration Sierra X-Ray Oscar Alpha Bravo at former Elecon Airport Athens in Greece. Uh, due to the pile of snow and the lack of four engines, the aircraft tipped backwards onto her tail. Uh, the photographer comments on his Facebook page. He says that personally, highlights of this bad weather uh, with the pictures shown on the screen there. The abandoned 747 dropped onto her tail due to the weight of the snow as if she wanted to get up and leave uh, to escape from the humiliation she's experienced for being stored for the last 21 years. Yes, you've heard me correctly, stored there for 21 years and from a future transformation into kitchenware or keychains or probably hanging here on my board in front of me. Uh, <sighs> according to Planespotters.net, originally this Queen of the Skies was preserved by the Olympic Airways Employees uh, Cultural Centre with the intention of it being put on display at an on-site museum. Now, there's uh, there's not only that aircraft there. I think um, when Matt put the, the picture on the screen, there is a 727 there as well, and a 73, I think, Nev, in the uh, front mm. of that picture was yes. a 737-200, I think, probably. Um, from uh, Olympic, yeah, but uh, it, it it does prove a point though how uh, how easy it is to push the center of gravity on something as big as a seven four seven when you haven't got the engines underneath the wings to obviously balance the aircraft out. Just that amount of snow on the you know the stabilizer pushed that aircraft onto its tail. Well, I, just, I hope the uh, the guys that just turned that other 747 into a party town uh, took that into account. Because if you get <laughs> yeah, you get a, a mosh pit and everybody moves to the back, we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> well, you know the engines are still on it, so who knows? Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's no, that was true. Something. Yeah, absolutely. So may, may, maybe that maybe that was their thinking is they'll they'll leave the engines on. I mean, so that would be one hell of a party, maybe. wouldn't it? I would absolutely. <laughs> oh, and then everybody runs back to the front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 no revelers were harmed during the making of this silliness, uh, quite. <laughs> so that uh, is the commercial news segment uh, bringing to a close. So we have got some news uh, on our 400th show, which is coming up in February this uh, year. And it's in a few weeks' time, isn't it, Nevis? Only a few not, weeks. Mm, not long. 26th yeah. of Feb. 26th, yeah. 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 We've, uh, if you haven't already uh, uh, sent us an email with your interest to come, we've got a couple of spaces left. So if there is a couple of you out there who haven't yet um, sent us an email in uh, to uh, say you're going to come and join us for the 400th, which we're having at Brooklyn's Museum here in the UK and home of aviation and motorsport as well. Um, it's on the 26th of February, as I said. Uh, you can send us an email, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com uh, but we have sent out some emails in the last uh, couple of weeks regarding uh, we're, our little, we're having a little buffet aren't we guys 
in the mm-hmm. uh, in the afternoon after the live show. And uh, if you have uh, already sent your interest to come to the 400th, uh, check your inbox because you would have received an email this week in regards to our buffet that we're having in the afternoon after the live show. And there's some info in that email uh, for you to have a look. So check your inboxes uh, just in case you missed that this week. Uh, but uh, Nev, it's safe to say, I think, Nev, that with the restrictions kind of lightening up here in the UK, that I think we are good to go. Yeah, of course, they're lifting the restrictions, all the testing restrictions as well um, yeah. to come into the UK, which is great from February the 11th. So that's good news. And um, you don't have to wear a mask in a public place. But I think what we'll do, we'll take some advice from the museum and yeah. also the hotel to see what they want us to do. And we'll mention that in the uh, mail that we send out to. Indeed. Yeah. We're looking forward to seeing everyone. Definitely moving in the right direction, though. What, we what, are, whatever yeah. is happening. So, uh, and Armando, you're uh, you're flying in as well to join us, aren't you, for the uh, 400th? Yeah, as long as everything stays the way it is, we should have an uneventful trip. We've already booked our uh, lodging arrangements, our tickets, our transfers, and we're spending five days total in the UK, wow. bringing the fam, bringing the fam along. Lovely, and we've got uh, we've got quite a good uh, get a list of guests joining us for the show. We've got two very special guests who uh, are going to be with us at the four hundredth. But uh, you, you'll have to wait till the four hundredth to see who they'll be. But we have got uh, some well-known faces, haven't we, Nev, from the uh, podcasting community joining us? Just to name a few, Nev, go on. Yes, um, Brian Coleman and Mayman Micah are coming over from the US. Uh, we'll have Captain L there. I think Pip is going to be there as well. Um, Andy, uh, actually, no, Andy's not going to be there, sadly, because he's on standby from the mm. A320 podcast. But Matt's coming down from the A320 podcast. Captain Jeff. Going. Captain Jeff is going to be there as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be a fantastic time. And as Carlos says, we've got a couple of great presenters who are going to join us as well uh, to tell us their story about aviation and what they've been yeah, up to indeed um, um, and uh, the venue itself well brooklyn's museum it doesn't get much more iconic than that absolutely fantastic place to walk around um and then back to the local hotel afterwards for buffet and uh, a glass of orange juice perhaps at the bar <laughs> And I, I, orange juice, right? Okay, and I'm even more excited because we're launching something as well at the 400. We have, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, for those, I'm quite for those excited you, about, yeah. Actually, we, we might just point out for those of you who, who aren't able to attend the live show we're having at Brooklyn's, we will be streaming the show live um, on our YouTube page. And as Matt just said, we have got a very special. Um, something new well, it's an announcement I mean, really isn't announcement, it it is a bit yes. of an announcement isn't it to do uh, to yeah. do with the thing yes i do well there we go we won't go into we won't go into any more detail leave it there uh, anyway before no, we get shouted anyway. at by john we should probably move on moving on <laughs> armando handing things over to you yeah sorry i was taking care of the chat room there um Despite your best efforts, we still have plenty of time for military. So if you guys are ready, I'll have Matt hit that button.
All right, the, this first military story, the chat room actually already beat me to it. They were talking about F-35s not floating so well. The first <laughs> part of the first story comes to us from thedrive.com, and it is photos emerging of that crashed British F-35B um, after it was hauled out of the Mediterranean. It was recovered from the seabed um, after its dramatic loss, which we all saw the video the uh, the recorded security footage of uh, of the aircraft plopping off the front of the the hms queen elizabeth now this photo has appeared online showing the recovered wreckage of that f-35 um that uh, fighter had originally been brought to the surface in december uh, as was kind of reported but any kind of imagery of the salvage jet had not yet appeared in the public domain the origin of the photo is still unclear, but it has now been shared on different social media sites. The photo taken from a vessel used in the recovery process shows the F-35B lying on its back on the deck uh, with its landing gear extended and the weapons bay uh, doors open. I think, uh, yeah, keep going, Matt. Um, Matt's putting up these pictures right now. The forward fuselage with its cockpit section is not... Uh, visible in these pictures, but the aircraft seems to be largely intact. Now this uh, show, this photo shows the serial number uh, ZM152 on the jet, and that had previously been confirmed by the government as the aircraft that was operating on the Royal Navy's flagship when it was underway in the Eastern Mediterranean on November 17th of last year. Now the aircraft um, is purported to have ingested an air intake cover and that the pilot uh, had unsuccessfully attempted to abort the takeoff after it became clear that the jet wasn't going to fly. And of course, the pilot ejected, came down safely on the carrier. Um, the footage appeared in November that showed the final moments of that aircraft, and that uh, appeared to have been captured on a cell phone video. And I think we read a little bit later that that individual had now been prosecuted by the authorities for releasing that video on social media. Um, so there you go. The second non-floating F-35 is just recently happened off the USS Carl Vinson uh, in the South China Sea. Now this uh, mishap injured seven individuals, according to the US Pacific Fleet. Uh, the pilot was conducting routine flight operations when this crash happened. They safely ejected and were recovered by a military uh, helicopter, according to the Pacific Fleet. And that pilot is in stable condition. Uh, six others were injured on the deck of the aircraft carrier. Three required evacuation to a medical facility in Manila in the Philippines. They are all in stable condition, according to the U.S. Navy. The other three sailors were treated on the carrier and have since been released. Uh, the cause of the in-flight mishap, as they're calling it, is still under investigation. As you can imagine, a spokesperson for the Navy's 7th Fleet in Japan, Lieutenant Mark Langford, said that the impact to the Vincent's flight deck was superficial. <laughs> Merely a <Wow>. flesh wound. <laughs> uh, and the warship and its air wing had resumed normal operations. As for the F-35, the status of the recovery is, quote, in progress. Uh, this is the first crash for an F-35C, which is the U.S. Navy's variant of this single-engine uh, fighter uh, designed for operations off of, specifically off of aircraft carriers. Uh, of course, this this C version uh, has more features, more robust landing gear designed to, to handle these carrier takeoffs and landings or just general 
Navy pilot because um, they're terrible. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, beefier landing gear to handle Navy pilots uh, manhandling the airplane. Folding wings uh, to for it to fit on a crowded flight deck. Larger wings, larger payload, and longer operating range. That's what makes the F-35C a little bit unique. Um, yeah, this aircraft carrier was in the South China Sea along with the USS Abraham Lincoln uh, strike group in uh, some exercises down there. So obviously this has been in the news media here in the US at least, and it is important like it was when we talked about the British F-35, very important for them to recover this aircraft before anybody else does. <laughs> yeah. As you can imagine. I can, yeah. A slight security issue, shall we say. <laughs> yep. yep, yep, yep. And this, uh, they didn't mention in this, but apparently it was on landing. So it was um, something something went awry on the landing and the aircraft hit hit the deck, as they say. Wow. Yeah. And if there's one thing that's not good for aircraft, that's salt water. Well, quite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Certainly not manufacturer recommended anyway. No, no. So uh, next story uh, coming to us from UKAviation.news. And this is great news, especially for me and Matt. Oh. And uh, this is uh, 2X Royal Air Force BAE-146 aircraft to be preserved at museums. So two are Royal Air Force BAE-146 Mark II transport aircraft are set to be preserved at uh, aircraft museums in the UK. The type's retirement at the end of March 22. Actually, just round the corner. Uh, the BAE 146 Mark II is operated by 32 Squadron, uh, Royal Air Force, uh, RAF Northolt, and has been used to transport military personnel, government ministers, and of course, the Royal Family. Uh, the British airliner collection at Duxford, yay, will get one of the aircraft, while the South Wales Aviation Museum at St Athen will get the other. Uh, Commanding Officer Number 2 Group Air Vice Marshal Suara Marshall said the BAE 146 aircraft have served the UK proudly over many decades, including during numerous operations, including Iraq and Afghanistan. After four decades of service, the aircraft have now reached the end of their service lives and I'm delighted that the 146s are going to be uh, moved to good homes and joining the collections of two fantastic aviation museums. The Royal Air Force currently has four BAE-146s in service, and the two destined, of, uh, destined for the museums are the VIP-configured CC Mark II models. Uh, the fate of the two uh, QC Mark III models, which feature a retrofitted freight door, are being brought by a civilian operator. The disposal is being managed by the Defence Equipment and Support, or the DE&S, and Richard Murray, Director Air Support for DE&S, commented that they are proudly supporting the BAE-146s over the years and through the Defence Equipment Sales Authority, and have assured that the heritage of these aircraft are highly regarded. Uh, the BAE, or RAF, the BA-146 aircraft feature an extensive defence suite to ensure the safe transportation of high-level VIPs. And the RAF has yet to confirm what aircraft will replace the type, although the UK government is using, as we all know, a air tanker A330 for VIP transport of high-level ministers. Now, one of the comments I made last night when we were doing the planning for this story is I wonder just how much of the interior and other bits and pieces they will leave on these 146s before they um, 
drop these into uh, Duxford. I mean, this was mainly a passenger sort of like craft, wasn't it? It, it was, yeah. yeah. It started life as a passenger aircraft. So, I mean, the, um, I mean, if any my security bits and pieces will no doubt have to be removed, but I'd like to think that they'll be pretty much as as they were when when used by the royal family and ministers. To be honest with you, I mean, that's kind of what I'm hoping. I'm hoping to see a little bit of luxury. That's I, what I'm I think for. it's great to see these these um, two you know saved because the 146 is a is a dying breed they have been mm. um you know leaving us for quite some time now in different countries i think there's still a few in i think africa there's some of these in africa i'm sure there is passenger configured ones um but it'll be nice to see these at Duxford, matt it'd be nice to go and have a look around oh, these yeah, when they eventually come in. and i'll tell you it would be really good if we could somehow get in touch with these guys and find out when the um one will be flying into Duxford. I oh, think it's yeah. already there, isn't it? Was it already there? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure that there, there is. It's already arrived. Oh. Is it on view yet? No, uh, I wouldn't have thought wouldn't so. Have thought no. so. No. Okay. No. No, mm. definitely have to go and look around these. Though. It'll be good to see uh, see mm. these. But um, do you remember these Nev flying into London City? I do. It was the first jet ever to operate in and out of London City Airport, and I've been on a few now. And uh, I, I like the aircraft. It's not everybody's cup of tea, um, but I, I must say I do like it. And the seating is on the commercial ones, at least in a, a two by two uh, configuration. And depending on what version of the aircraft you were on, either sort of 86 seats or... 75 seats something like that i think uh, from memory wow um but uh no fabulous aircraft very very versatile and uh yeah for, for the short haul um hops or even some medium haul stuff i've certainly been on one down to uh faro um in the algarve from um london city airport so uh yeah really good uh, aircraft and uh, great to see they're being preserved yeah Dan Air used to have these as well, never didn't realise that. Yes, they did. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, Air UK okay. and uh, mm. uh, you know, many, many operators uh, had them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was quite a list of operators here in the US too. I remember flying mm. them, um, US Air livery. I think it was PSA Airlines at the, at right. the time. I can't remember if it was yeah. uh, Philadelphia or Pittsburgh but uh, or Washington, uh, Reagan. But I remember as a kid flying on, on 146s. Um, it was a pretty cool airplane back then too. I think there's uh, a few of them still flying here in the U.S. as air tankers for Neptune Air oh, Service. Wow. Mm -hmm. So. Oh, interesting. And militaries. I think some militaries still use 146s. Now, Nev, you've got the next story, and I know you and Matt are big fans of um, Formula One, but yeah. uh, producer producer here? John is as well. He's a big fan. Well, yes, and as Martin Brundle might say, who's one of the commentators on Sky. Uh, F1. Uh, I think somebody needs to take a sensible pill. Here. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's on the Reuters.com website, um, and it says that Formula One will ban pre-race fly passed by military aircraft this season, but Britain's Red Arrows display team will be exempt, along with passenger jets using sustainable fuels. Formula One said the decision was taken for environmental reasons, with the support the sport determined to reduce its carbon footprint. Silverstone Circuit Managing Director Stuart Pringle confirmed in a statement that the Red Arrows would remain part of the British Grand Prix pre-lineup. 
the Red Arrows have played a significant part in entertaining motorsport fans since they first performed at the British Grand Prix in 1966. And I'm pleased to say that the Formula, Formula One has confirmed that this much-loved tradition can continue at Silverstone in 2022, he said. Um, the Red Arrows, officially known as the Royal Air Force Acrobatic Team, sorry, Aerobatic Team, are not classed as military aviation and as such do not fall into the category of those displays that will no longer be permitted at Formula One events. Uh, Italy's, uh, Italy's uh, Correa della Sera reported that the country's uh, Frecci uh, Tricolori uh, would no longer feature at Imola and Monza this year, however. The paper said some suspected Formula... That doesn't seem right. Uh, some suspected Formula One wanted to remove displays that might be seen as shows of military power or propaganda. Uh, the same newspaper is now reporting that the French tricolory uh, will indeed still be allowed to fly as it is a separate aerobatic division of the Italian Air Force. They will, be, they will continue to perform in Italian skies before the race because it falls in, into the display team's category. Um, it's a common sense decision, not least because exceptions have been made for commercial and historic aircraft, such as the Red Bull fleet that performs in Austria, uh, he added. Uh, purely military aircraft will remain on the ground, including jets, helicopters and fighter bombers. According to some, they are used by some countries to de demonstrate their military uh, strength, uh, this correspondent said. Um, several races have regularly featured flypasts by fighter jets and commercial airliners. Uh, races in Abu Dhabi and Bahrain are sponsored by airlines Etihad and Gulf Air, respectively, with both using their Boeing 787 Dreamliners to highlight low-emission technology and sustainable fuel. Formula One is aiming to achieve a net-zero carbon footprint by 2030, with 100% sustainable fuels from 2026, when a new engine is introduced. Um, mm -hmm. hmm. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be political. I think someone's taken leave of their senses here <laughs> by banning fly past like that. I, I don't even think for one minute that uh, countries are trying to show their military strength. I think it's uh, uh, Formula One is a very important revenue generator mm. um, for you know the, the sport, the spot, uh, the, the the teams, and also its uh, its fans as well. And, also, I mean, um, I, I've watched a, I've watched a lot of um, you know GP races and things like that, and at no point when there's been an when there's been a display team flying past that. I mean, especially if you're watching like sort of obviously, I mean, here in the UK, Sky's got its own dedicated channel, and it starts quite early on in the day, doesn't it? You know, so there's there's all the build up and all that kind of thing, and they'll quite often cut to you know one of the display teams doing their thing and at no point have i ever thought while i've watched that all oh, that'll be italy showing off how you know how butch they are do you know what i mean it's like one of those sort of i just don't i don't get as you say like the whole military might thing I, at no point had that ever entered into my head the reason that that fly pass was taking place well i, I like julie's mention... julie's comment in the chat room sorry guys for julie's comment in the chat room she says um, environmental reasons, as all the drivers get into their private jets and go home. Well, the there is that. There That's is a very good point. And, and good Neil point. is talking about the 747 fleet that flies the entire operation around the world. I remember seeing the Dakar Rally uh, aviation operation, and they're yeah. using probably six ginormous aircraft to shuttle all the crews and the and the stations, you know, around. And that's a, a fairly 
limited time span for a race. You know, the Formula <laughs> One, I, exactly. Ju- Julie, dead on. I, I, what a silly thing. What a silly thing because <laughs> how many people are flying their private jets to these Formula One yeah, races? Absolutely. You know. So uh, many, 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 many years ago, um, I, I was at, I was actually at Silverstone doing some bits and pieces um, as a driver, believe it or not. And one of the jobs that I had was driving a minibus um, from the helipad to the stands where, where they were going to their various corporate events and all that kind of thing. And I was very, very busy all day. In, yeah. one, in in that that thing, I mean, I've I've never seen so many helicopters and and goodness knows what else. I mean, I, I think you know, if I'm honest, that's where they need to look at their carbon footprint. Do you know what I mean? It, it just it just doesn't make sense. So Arnie Carlson's got a great suggestion. F1 will start using uh, wood fired hot air balloons from now on. <laughs> I think that's clearly the future. Uh, <laughs> 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 Mr. McCarran will be delighted that. that we've managed to squ- segue in a, a hot air balloon in, into into our military well, section. I also love that they're <laughs> trying to say that the 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 Hawk, the T one, is military might. Right. Yes. Or, I mean, not military might. Maybe, 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 maybe that's why it's exempt. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that, that is probably yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's like, man, it's not that. Nah, mighty. you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well tell you what, let, let's just shut them all up, and we'll do a really green version uh, for Formula One, and we'll just have lots of drones right. flying around. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I guess I, I, I would argue that I think the the fly pass that they did at the, far, at the Farnborough Air Show is probably the most green that the Red Arrows has ever been. I, I was actually bored. That never happens. <laughs> now, Armando, you've got uh, the last story here, and it's all about pilot shortages, which have obviously happened because you're no longer flying for the Air Force. Yeah, so this story made it in here. Actually, this was John's suggestion. Um, as we continue to talk about pilot shortages and recovering from the pandemic and big in the news, uh, just this week was United Airlines opened their doors on their Aviate Academy. Um, so it's really, to be honest, the first ab initio program here in the US, uh, at least in, in recent times. Over there in Europe and the Middle East, this, these are fairly common, but we've talked about on the show how, how perhaps one of the best ways for airlines to address the shortage is to have these programs. United Airlines did this. But we put the story in here because it is not just the airlines and the commercial sector that is short on pilots. The U.S. Air Force, the U.S. military is also short on pilots. Um, and this particular article talking about the strategies that the U.S. Air Force is using to ramp up um, and accelerate training, improve retention as it faces a shortage of more than 1,600 pilots. That's according to the U.S. Air Force uh, releasing their data. Um, now, the, obviously, nothing is far from new. We've, we were working this back when I was in the Air Force uh, five years ago. Um, but just recently, the Department of Defense here in the United States told Congress that it was facing a shortfall of up to 3,000 pilots. Um, now, General, or not General, um, Colonel John O'Dell, he's the Military Deputy Director for Training and Readiness, specifically the Air Crew Task Force for the United States Air Force. He was quoted saying that the severity and the dynamic of the shortfall varies among the military services. All services are experiencing pilot shortfalls due to several years of underproduction in pilot training and reduced aircraft readiness. These 
shortfalls have been exacerbated by a higher than average attrition among experienced aviators. The internal challenges of underproduction and aircraft material readiness have resulted in an extended time to train new aviators, a lack of sufficient flight time per pilot, extended and frequent deployments, I'll come back to that, and other quality of life concerns for aviators. Now, the U.S. Army, on the other hand, the uh, has helped fill its pilot gap, which they uh, said that their pilot shortage was about 330 pilots in 2019. They did that with money. Uh, <laughs> they said that the, the Army has made substantial progress in closing our pilot shortage, which several years ago uh, grew out of reduced budgets and reduced accessions to flight schools. And the uh, active Army aviator population is higher today than it has been in the past 10 years based on these increased accessions, uh, targeted retention bonuses, uh, which is a nice way of throwing money at people, and the first increase in incentive pay or flight pay, as we call it, in uh, for the Army at least in 20 years, that the first increase took place in 2020. So when it comes to filling uh, pilot positions, the problem is unsurprisingly uh, mostly in the Air Force. In 2017, for example, the service reported a shortfall of about 2,000 pilots. Uh, that rate has not really changed uh, too much uh, until recently. At the end of fiscal year 2020, which was uh, just last year, the Air Force reported a pilot shortage of uh, 1,925 pilots. Um, so what are they doing? Uh, basically, they are trying to figure out how to um, get through the pandemic, which obviously was a reduction in flight hours and training hours. I think I saw a comment on the chat room. Somebody need, uh, lives near uh, Columbus Air Force Base. And yes, all of the training bases, that's one of the major training bases. The training was cut and that led to some proficiency issues at Vance, Randolph, Columbus Air Force Base, Laughlin Air Force Base. Now this has created this tremendous backlog. Now, one of the things that the Air Force has tried to institute is the embracing the use of technology. So they've, they've coined uh, undergraduate pilot training 2.5, UPT 2.5. This uh, is supposed to expedite the initial phases of pilot training. It's, uh, it uses simulators, fixed-based simulators. It uses virtual reality. So a lot of the um, advanced maneuvers that these the, the students would face a little bit further in the training pipeline are now being introduced before spending money and um, and pilot reasons, instructor resources on an actual aircraft. So now they're able to learn the uh, the formation flying, some of the tactical uh, skills on the ground with virtual reality. Um, and then that obviously opens up a pool of instructor pilots to uh, to fly the real aircraft and then have a, a ground-based flight instructor, right? And, and you can use some, some supporting um, career fields for that. Air Force also develop a civilian or a civil path to wings program, which accelerates Air Force flight training for civilians, such as airline pilots or hobbyists. I love that they call them hobbyists <laughs> who have flying experience. Nowadays, if, if uh, you know, we have a broad range of listeners to this show, almost always talking about commercial aviation and airline aviation, airline careers. It is, it is an, a, an entirely viable path to go into the U.S. military, the U.S. Air Force, and, uh, and get all your ratings there. Now, that was traditionally 
back in the 1970s and the 80s, how most, I think up to upwards of 80% of airline pilots had a military background. Um, just a few weeks ago when I was down in Atlanta, they were uh, 2020, it was 28% hiring was military. Uh, the others, you know, 72% were, were civilian background, mostly from the regionals. Um, so it is an entirely a viable path for people to go to. And like the army, the air force is throwing a lot of money at the problem. The pilot retention bonuses are, are increasing. They're pretty hefty. Um, additionally, you know, I, I mentioned their quality of life and deployments. There are personnel task force that is dedicated to, to figure out how to make um, pilot lives better. And, and that's not pilots being prima donnas. Uh, it was, I experienced it, which was mission creep. You know, I was trained as an aviator, but the, by the time you get into a management role, into a leadership role, you do a little bit less flying, a little bit less flying, a little bit less flying. Next thing you know, you're flying every 55 days for currency because it's every 60 days is when you, when you get to get some takeoffs and landings <laughs> and, um, that kind of, of, of role creeping, uh, is being looked at as, well, perhaps we need to split aviators off into two separate tracks, one going into sort of a leadership track and one going into an aviator track where you can essentially go into the senior levels of, of officer ranks, um, in the O five, probably not the O six level, but the O five Lieutenant Colonel, or, uh, or whatever the service equivalent Alec, levels Alec, are. Alex Robinson has a question for you. Uh, as a British citizen, how do I sign up for this USAF training? <laughs> uh, as a British citizen, you can you can download, uh, what's DCS, right? That's the uh, the fighter jet game, the video oh, game. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. And you, you two can fly an F-16. <laughs> right, okay, fair enough. No, I, actually. I, I don't think that's quite what he had in mind. <laughs> Nope, we do have exchange programs. Actually, the uh, Air Force One right now is being has a uh, RAF pilot, an RAF group oh, wow. commander is at the helm of of Air Force One. So we Very do have cool. a, a pretty robust exchange program with our partner, our closest partner nations. Um, so we have Australian pilots. We have uh, quite a few British pilots actually in the U.S. Air Force. We had one, and we had a, a an RAF pilot, a C one thirty J's pilot from Bryce Norton, who was in my squadron in Cannon Air Force Base, New Mexico. And he was a, a full-fledged member. I mean, he wore his RAF uniform, but full-fledged member of, of our squadron and our uh, tactical team. So. Wow, cool. I suppose we tend to forget, don't we? We talk about on the show all the time about the, the pilot shortage and the commercial and civilian side of things, but we, we don't really ever touch on the, the fact that the, the military are short of pilots, yeah. well, in the US anyway. But um, I'd imagine... Yeah, we are in the UK, but yeah, interesting. Uh, we did a story last year at some point where I think the uh, Australian Air Force was also looking for um, pilots. So they were they were use, uh, looking at U.S. military individuals to come over there and and fly in, in the uh, RAAF. Mm. So, yeah, military aviation, it's a great way. My entire class at my... Um, at, you know, my ATP CTP class was all military was all 10 of us were military aviators um, trying to get our, our uh, ATP certificates. So it's a great if way to, if I were to too old, originals. Matt, we've missed, we've missed that. Uh, you're all right. Thanks. You, you carry on. Okay. <laughs> and, and Nev, you, they wouldn't let you in because you know, you, you don't like it. So uh, nor would I fit in the aircraft. Either. <laughs> okay. So, 
with you, Nev, uh, as we're going to wrap up the show. And uh, Nev, where can our glorious listeners find us if they can't already find us on social media yes you go to facebook twitter or instagram search uh, for plain talking uk you can whatsapp us uh, in the studio plus 44 757 2249166 that's plus 44 757 2249166 email address is podcast at and our website is all the w's you can subscribe to our youtube channel and you'll get notifications when we go live and you can search for plain talking uk on youtube as well on our website uh, there's an amazon link for you if you do your shopping through amazon we get paid a small referral fee and you can also become a patreon and donate money to us and we're very grateful for all the people that do that Yep, and uh, don't forget you can also shop on our website as well if you fancy getting yourself one of the uh, our PTUK t-shirts mm. and mug as well yes. if you fancy uh, having your morning brew in something very special. Indeed. Uh, so, uh, Indeed. Yeah. so that is where we are going to bring episode 397 of the show to a close. A massive thanks to everyone in the YouTube chat room who joined us this evening. Big thanks to all the family members in there for joining us tonight. And a big thanks as well to all the new uh, faces we've seen in the chat room tonight. Great to see uh, some new uh, people joining us in the chat room tonight. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So thanks, everyone, for all the hard work again tonight. Thank you, Nev. Thanks, Matt and Armando as well. And not forgetting John for all his work in the background uh, uh, getting stuff ready for the show on a Friday night. And uh, that's about all we have time for this week, guys. So uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Don't forget to tune in next Friday. Well, we'll all hopefully be back again. Uh, so from me, Carlos, here in my home studio, from Nev, relaxing in his chair in his studio at home, and from Armando wearing a T-shirt that I would love to have here at home with Pilatus written on. Take care, everyone. See you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> oh. All right. In our first military story, we're talking about F-35s going to the bottom of the ocean. Quite. <laughs> oh. There's one for the blue Oh, uh, no, it's probably... Oh, no. <laughs> There's one for the blue beret.